To the MMA Roadshow, episode number 174. My name is John Morgan. Cold Coffee is not with me this week up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. But that's alright because I have two fine replacements sitting next to me right now. Tapping into a couple of award-winning Paps Blue Ribbon. Ready to talk USC on Fox 30. Alvarez versus Poirier 2. The young Mike Bond, MMA Junkie Zone. How you doing, sir? Very good, very good. Uh, nice to be back in Calgary. It's kind of a little bit of a full circle. My first UFC event as a credentialed media member was the first trip here, and uh, now here we are again. First one. That's awesome. All right, and Calgary Zone and the Post Media's Danny Austin. Yeah, man. And we should say, not only are you here... We're here with you. We are in your living room. Yeah, and I wish that I had better lighting, to be honest. I never realized that my lamp situation was uh, was so poor until we were all sitting here and like it's raining outside, just a little dark. But You have lamps, they just don't have bulbs in them? Is that kind of what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I could tell you my lamp situation. Uh, there's two of the lamps in this room. I just kind of like was, was walking in the alleyway, and uh, they were back there. Someone was throwing them out, so I just picked them up, and I just never bought uh, light bulbs for them. So I got a... I got a lot of lamps and uh, no light. You know? That is fantastic. Yeah. That is prime Danny Austin right there. <laughs> All right, fellas. Uh, well, let me ask one thing before we dive into MMA. There's plenty to talk about. Calgary or Calgary? I kind of feel that people say Calgary almost as like a like a country dig at you or something. Yeah, it's Calgary. Okay, it is like, Calgary. Yeah, but people say it kind of. It, they're making like a joke, right? Because I've heard. Well, people it's weird. Say, like I have cousins like from Calgary. I have cousins from Saskatchewan, the next country over or the next province over, and they swear that it's Calgary. But like no one in this city calls it. <laughs> it's same thing like with Toronto. Like Toronto, you don't pronounce the T at the end unless you're from out of Toronto. But like. Yeah. Oh yeah. You and, know, I was like, how could you pronounce Toronto? You could say like, Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Make it very strong. And you would never do that. And like, it's Calgary. It's it's the Uri, not the Airy. All right, good. Um, I yeah. felt like I heard somebody say it. And I felt like it was almost like a joke, but it, you know, which like it does sound like a little bit more like old school Western, right? right. Like some cowboy stuff. And the city, like so much of its branding is, we have a huge rodeo, right? And like it's it, it is a Western, like a very you know, cows and bulls and all that. So, I I mean, maybe there are some really old white dudes who call it Calgary, but I've lived here for, for seven years and never heard anyone say it. Well, listen, second time here for me, uh, you mentioned it, Mike Bond, the first time was six years ago. I'll be honest with you, I didn't remember much about it. The city itself, and maybe it was just because the card was so forgettable that I kind of just kind of tuned it out of my mind the whole week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember we went to a Stampeders game for a little bit, but uh, I, I, don't, I didn't remember much else about it. But I got to say, Staying at your place, Danny, you live close to downtown, uh, just north of downtown, basically, but right on, there's a beautiful river that goes right by downtown. Yeah. Uh, man, there's people out jogging and, and, and walking and boating and doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, Mike Bond, you and I just went out there and shot a video preview that people are going to see on MMA Junkie, but I got to say, I mean, listen, it's hard, it's hard to... It's hard to overcome Vancouver. That's one of the most uh, beautiful places yeah. on earth. You have to tell me twice. Toronto's a, a nice city. It's like, you know, I always say it's – people get mad, but I always say it's like a clean New York, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but, hey, not bad here, man. This nah, man. Cool. Calgary's a good city. And, like, the one thing I'll say about if you want to compare it to Toronto, Vancouver, I would be paying four times the rent in either of those cities. So, right. Calgary, like, it's the fourth biggest city in Canada. Um does it have and I mean Calgarians are going to get real mad at me Calgarians say, it's Calgarians but it's Calgary oh, I know no. <laughs> I, the second I said it I was like, I'm going to have to pause this sentence um, it's not Calgarians that, that's, that's true that does sound dumb um, 
but uh, yeah, like look, it does it have like the I don't want to say culture, like the art scene necessarily right. that you know Toronto has. No, um, Vancouver is just a beautiful city from from top to bottom. One of the most I mean, beautiful, yeah, under, absolutely. Um, but there's a lot here, and it's a good city. It's, it's 1.3 million, so it's not that small. Yeah. Um, the downtown is relatively vibrant. We haven't actually left the one area that's like very corporate that I don't really ever go to. But uh, no, it's a good city, man. I love it here. I've lived here for a while, and if I didn't love it, I wouldn't live here. We're hearing uh, ticket sales. I, ticket sales pretty strong is what I think. I know you. I think you think we're, we're a little disappointed. I mean, it's at the Saddle Dome. I think the official is the Scotiabank State. Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it is Saddle Dome is the official name. Uh, what we're hearing is probably eleven to twelve thousand tickets by fight night, but. It is a fight night, so to me, I, I I thought that was pretty solid. But you seemed as as a local, you seemed a little disappointed. What's weird is like there was a sense of excitement from from the start when this card was kind of announced, especially when Poirier and Alvarez were, and there hasn't been a fight card here in a little while. Um, like Western Canada has has had a vibrant MMA scene for a long, long time. Uh, maybe not quite what Montreal has. You know, there's not a, a massive gym here, but there have been fight cards here. Like I just I, I thought we would sell out for right. some reason, and I mean. You know, it is the middle of the summer, and we've talked about this. So would that be like sixteen, seventeen thousand? Yeah, first one did uh, sixteen oh eight nine for a four point one million dollar hit. Jesus, yeah. like it's they are serious when they say that like this is an important market. It's not the hugest city, but like only a couple hours away is Edmonton, which is like it's very much a hub for Western Canada. Um, so I just I I thought it was going to do better than that, but. I mean, having talked to UFC people this week, they're not necessarily disappointed in that yeah, I mean, number. I think that's the level for a fight night. I guess they don't look at it so much as just market to market. I think they're like, this isn't a big pay-per-view. It doesn't have massive payroll attached to it. Although, I mean, I imagine the payroll will be pretty decent. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good card, but, but, you know. And, I mean, for me, like, it was – look, if it was just Alvarez Poirier and a bunch of garbage, I, I'd say, hey, you know, 10,000 is great. Like, do that. But, like, Jose Aldo's on this card. Like, there's a – like – Joanna's on this. Like, this is a really good card. Yep. And they're, like, the two local fighters who are fighting are popular. I mean, like, yep. people know Hakeem Duodu in, in Calgary. Jordan Mean, like, the Mean family is very important to Alberta MMA. Like, I just, I thought that they really did a, a near-perfect job booking a card that was never going to have a superstar. I mean, this is just not a big enough market for that. Right. So, I just, I don't know. I mean... I guess I'm disappointed because I wanted I wanted the absolute best, right? But uh, the UFC doesn't seem to be. Sounds so. like they're pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Interesting to note too. I mean, I think most people know by now, but it's Saturday night is Dana White's birthday. It's his 49th birthday, um, and we did kind of talk to some people that said like Dana was very involved in the matchmaking. I guess they were kind of trying to determine you know what fights were going to go where, and then Dana made the decision like you know what that's my birthday. I owe it to Calgary. You know, I promised them that I was going to fix everything. So you know what. I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to be there that night. And as soon as he decided that he was basically going to make it his birthday card, I was told that basically, like, the top four fights were done, like, instantaneously. And they were like, yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Like, I'm going to make it a night that I have fun with. It's too bad uh, the second Abu Dhabi card was not his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think – I think he delivered, and I think him being here – I mean, we know it. Like, like, whatever opinions I have on certain things Dana White does, I know what he means to the MMA fan base. Yep. So him coming here is – on some, big. It, it, it just says, like, hey, I care about this. The UFC cares about this. And I think that's a good message. I There's no one who would have been more critical if I didn't think this card delivered. Yep. Uh, and even if every fight is bad, they booked a, a card that there's no way that's You're right. If it, if it ends up being a repeat of the first Calgary card, you can't say it was their fault. You like, know. on paper, it looks fantastic. All right, we're going to get all into the Calgary card. But, of course, 
we got to get to the big news, right? I mean, we knew it was coming. It wasn't a surprise. But Conor McGregor today, as expected, probation, anger management, uh, He's free. I mean, it's it's all done. We got nobody thought he was going to do jail time. Anybody that listens to this show knows, of course. We, we we told you this all along, and it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. Rich people don't go to jail. <laughs> uh, but I did want to ask you guys. I mean, any surprises at all? Because I will say this: I was surprised today. I guess to find out that the guy's going to have no criminal record whatsoever. I guess it's called a, a violation in New York, and, and he's not even going to have a criminal record. I found that a little bit surprising that you're not even going to have like a blemish on your mark. But I, I don't, Mike. You, when the whole thing got announced, we were all expecting it. We all knew what was coming. But was there any part of it that bothered you or surprised you? Or did you think, ah, well, this is where we were going? Yeah, I figured it was where we were going. I mean, I don't know too much about the U.S. legal system and particularly how Fair it works play. in New York. But I didn't think he was ever going to see the inside of a jail cell. Uh, I thought maybe there would be a significant fine of some sort. But, you know, it seems like he'll probably be you know, paying a fine of sorts and having to repay these fighters that he injured in the incident. He did have to pay back the bus company. I don't know the particular figure of yeah, what that it was. was. Like, I think it was like 10 grand or something. Yeah, like so that. things like that. I mean, nothing really surprising. And I, I imagine, like, to carry off your point about the, you know, having a mark on your criminal record, I imagine that was a huge part of, you know, the plea agreement negotiations because as far as I know, uh, as someone that's kind of looked into U.S. visas before and stuff, you are you know, it's hard enough to get one period from another country to get one when you have a criminal record and not just from your own country, but a crime committed within the United States. I think that might almost, you know, that's a good point. I mean, they they probably might've been like, what you want us to do 30 days in jail. We'll do 30 days in jail. If we don't have anything on our record, like, well, I mean, that kills, that kills it all for Connor, right? You know, like if, uh, I think that's what the reason I'm sure Dana, you know, like to say, we ha- we're not thinking or talking about anything with Connor's next fight until this is figured out. Probably not true, but the reluctance to like announce anything or something like that because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like at worst case, if they didn't allow Connor to come back in the U- United States to compete, that changes the entire complexion of his career. Like, how are you going to you know make the paydays off what this guy can bring you fighting you know in Canada or Brazil or Europe yeah. or whatever? So like you, I imagine for him the huge sticking point was just not to have anything interrupt his travel and ability to fight in the States. should say, by the way, I did reach out to the UFC for comment this morning after everything went down, and I made it clear, hey, you guys said we're going to let the process play out, and then we're going to weigh in, and I reached out through PR, and they said, hey, we got nothing at this time. Uh, Dana is going to be in Calgary, as, as we said. Uh, it's supposed to be here tomorrow after the weigh-ins. Of course, we're sitting on Thursday night to record like we always do. Uh, I'm going to try to get him for a few minutes and at least ask him, I mean, listen, I I guess it all depends on how we're supposed to hold his feet to the fire. I mean, Dana is just going to say, hey, we let the legal process run its course. They decided that there was no crime here or that there was a misdemeanor, and we're not going to punish somebody that's been dealing with a, a, a violation, right? I mean, are we, are we supposed to then be like, oh, Dana? I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> if... An NBA player, and like I think we could like if LeBron James, because Conor McGregor is the biggest star, and that's true. Yep, that's a fair comparison. Threw a metal dolly through the bus of another team and hurt a bunch of NBA athletes. He'd be suspended by the league. He'd be suspended forever. It would be the like no Conor shouldn't just like regardless of the, uh, of the legal implications. Conor should not just get off the hook for this. I think he's going to. Right. I understand why he's going to. I think we're going to get a massive fight later in the year. Um, the only thing that I would add is that his legal issues aren't done. I mean, Michael Chiesa lawyered up. Like these, the guys who who lost fights yep. are absolutely going to 
take this through civil court. So Connor could end up paying a lot of money for this. So, I mean, which is, I know it's a different thing than what you're saying, but, but no, I but think this is going to play out in court for a while. I agree. Uh, should say too, uh, Michael Chiesa is here, um, uh, cornering Austin Arnett. Yep. Uh, I did reach out to Michael Chiesa and he said, look, love you. I'll go have a beer with you tonight. Uh, but no, I'm not commenting right now, you know. Uh, and, and fair play. I mean, he's got ongoing litigation. So, of course, you know, why would you? It would be why, crazy for him. It would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, so that's a smart decision. Uh, we did, I think Steve Morocco actually reached out to Ray Borg as well to get his take because he's the other one that we know, a, a fighter that has pending litigation as well. Um, and I have heard that, that Ray's – I haven't heard specifics. I've just heard that it's not going his, – his healing process isn't going as well as it should. And I said from the beginning, I know everybody's like, ah, corneal abrasion. I had people hit me up on Twitter be like, that's minor, man. You can get a corneal he abrasion with your contacts. On. How does he get glass in his eye? <laughs> and, and I had people, you know, people were saying that. But I said from the beginning, like, this is scary, man. You're talking about eyes, man. You're, you're talking about uh, not everybody's Michael Bisping and can fight with and, one eye. Am I wrong that his last fight was a title fight? Yes. So, so he would be a 24-year-old fighter coming off a title fight. Yes, it was a loss, but it was – 24 minutes and 59 seconds, right? With yeah. you know what I mean, like if his career is done, that's a lot of money he can get. I agree. If his career is over, and and if you can't get licensure because of your eyesight, and again, this is worst case scenario. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's what I've heard. I just have heard that he's not back, and we know he's not scheduled for another fight, right? I mean, Kess has already had another fight. Yeah. So there there may be something to that. Again, Ray is is admittedly not one to talk about this as well. So and there are those are the two kind of I think most out there, but I I I, I could be wrong. I think uh, I think Rose has some pending litigation against them. I, I, okay. I may be wrong. I think there's some uh, some employees. You know, there was there was an employee mentioned today in the restraining orders. Um, so you're right. The legal the legal process isn't done, and I am kind of interested too. You know, there's this kind of restraining order, a notice of protection, I believe, is what they called it, um, against two fighters, and again against one UFC employee. I do kind of wonder. How that affects the fight, how that affects, you know, I mean, how does yeah. that affect UFC operations? So it's going to be interesting. All right. Immediately, so, you know, we're, we're, you know, this news happened. We kind of expected the news, but obviously our job as reporters is to start trying to follow the story, right? Kind of move it forward. So I did reach out to Habib's team for comment. Um, we have been trying to talk to Habib all week. I just tell if anybody wants to know why there's not been any Habib interviews, the USCPR has been put him on lockdown. He is doing a Q and A uh, Friday. Of course, he's in town too. He's uh, not even staying at the fighter hotel. Is like, that right? Well, I mean, he can't be because I've seen every seen other team. Like I, I I've that's seen right. Him. I haven't seen him. I haven't yeah. run across him. He's here to corner Islam Makachev. We do know he is in town. I think he came in Monday or Tuesday, so he's been here for a while. Yep. Um, but right away, as soon as I landed, I'm like, hey, um. Just you know, can I talk to Habib like like preferably Thursday afternoon? You know, because I wanted to get Habib's first reaction, and PR was like, "Nah, bro, like he's doing a Q and A on Friday. Like we're keeping that one for ourselves." Stream numbers. Yeah, we need this, and I was like, "Okay, well, I guess I can respect that." Um, but I did reach out and get um, a, a message from his team this morning. I did get a comment, and he said, "You know, uh, great, great line." Of course, you know, he said, "Listen, I'm glad he didn't get in jail because then I can't punish him." Uh, you know, tell him to come up to New York. Uh, and, and you know we'll we'll get it done in November. Uh, and then he had the great social media post. What was it? Just hashtag yeah, send sets, me location. Send me location. Referring yeah. back to that awesome footage where he gets off the bus. Still some of my favorite USC footage ever. Where he's like, "Why all this? Just tell me time. Tell me <laughs> location." Like, ah, oh, gangster. Uh, all right. So we 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 have an idea that that's the fight that's going to be next. So it certainly could be the biggest fight in UFC history. I think um, it is. I, so, but it's we everything we'd heard was it was going to be October in Vegas. 
Now you got Habib saying, let's do Madison Square Garden in New York. I'm guessing maybe that's just um, Ramadan's over, right? So yeah, yeah. So, okay, Ramadan's done. So I mean, I, he's got to be training. So I don't think it's a, a timing issue. I, I guess if he's angling for Madison Square Garden, it's probably just because there's so much support up there. There's a lot of Russian support. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's I been think, amazing. We've seen it. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you do it in Vegas. The the Russians, I from what I've seen, you know, they're not going to travel in mass like we've seen with the Irish for Conor McGregor. I right. mean, when you go to a Conor McGregor fight week in Vegas, it's a whole experience in itself when you see, you know, all those Irish people drinking and dancing at 4 a.m. in the middle of the MGM Grand Casino floor, like Just stuff like the, that. Like flooding the strip and not by the strip, I mean the actual street, Las Vegas Boulevard, like stopping traffic. And I mean, I'm sure he wants to do it on his terms. I from what I've heard, you know, Connor isn't particularly eager to go back to New York to fight. I mean, not only is there the issue of what happened, uh, potential licensure there, all that stuff, and then, you know, the, the taxes that are very high there mm-hmm. for someone with his payday in particular. So uh, I imagine Vegas seems like the most likely location, but who knows? I mean, the UFC in some part gets what they want, uh, maybe more so than what Conor McGregor wants. I don't know. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to see. But Well, Danny, you, you were actually told on record, right, that that Connor doesn't want to fight in New York. I'm not going to say who told me, right. but I was I was told okay, by. So it was off record. Then. Well, yeah, it was like it was in a conversation. Okay. Um, I, I was told specifically that the taxes will prevent him from fighting. Like, it, it, if he's going to have to give up basically half of. Well, especially now he needs that extra <laughs> half to pay back all these people <laughs> he's hurt. Well, yeah. and and I think too. Okay, so so that's kind of inside information. And then if you step back and let's say we didn't have that inside information, if you just kind of look at what's happening, right? Like we've heard nothing about the October card, right? I mean, there's not even a single fight. Announced or rumored for it, nothing, nothing. But we've seen the, the the Madison Square Garden card get stacked with like amazing fights, and now they're talking about Adesanya and Brunson. They're chirping a little bit. So I mean, we see. So it would kind of make sense, right? Because if you have Connor and Habib on a card, like no, you know, no disrespect, but you you really don't need any. I, mean, I I think that's going to be a one fight. That's going to be a boxing card, right? I mean, it's going to be a one fight card. And again, I, I guess that kind of sucks to say that because that'll that'll disrespect whatever ten other fights are made. Risky, risky move, though. I mean, uh, that's, that would be the downside. Love, love the guy. Nothing but respect for him. But uh, I think Conor McGregor famously called him a pullout merchant, and you know this guy has had to withdraw some, from some fights. So, uh, do you want? I mean, we know Conor from his experience; he will fight anyone, but. Has he gotten too big for that stage? I mean, when you're on the come up and you're challenging for the title, and Jose Aldo pulls out. And then, you know, Rafael uh, Dos Anjos pulls out. Like, you're going for things there. He, right. I mean, I guess you're going for Habib's title, too, and they could always make an interim belt, something like that. But I think he's kind of outgrown that situation a little right. bit. So, I mean, if I'm the UFC, I, I definitely want to have a little bit of support on that uh, Conor McGregor card. The only thing is that if you're going to spend the money promoting a card around Conor... And, and you don't got much left. <laughs> it, like, it doesn't matter. If one of them falls out, you can have the greatest UFC card in history. You spent money to get $2 million views realistically of course. two million pay-per-view battles yep. so like does it actually matter you can have the greatest card in history if yeah, one of those two falls out million. you're not getting two million so okay now here's some, all right this is yeah. kind of off the charts here but all right now i had heard that, that they were considering the option and, and again i've heard that likely it's connor b that's the fight that makes sense for everybody involved but i had heard that they were considering the possibility of connor and george st pierre which would be a huge fight as well. Not wouldn't have the tension, you know what I mean? And and uh, you until know until they get on stage. Until they get on stage. But I mean, I'd love to see that. Was, yeah. it would the, be pre- the press conference would be great, <laughs> okay. just because I'd love to see how Connor would agitate GSP. So here's something. Okay, this is so. So this is all right. Now this is not quite tinfoil hat stuff, but yeah. 
I mean, GSP is a guy that doesn't get out of shape, right? I mean, so could you just say, hey, George, do us a favor. Stay in shape. If one of these guys falls out, you're the guy. Because you can- that, be that would be a replacement, right? Like if you – if yeah. on a Monday of fight week, you were like, either guy goes out. I mean, either you end up with – with Connor versus GSP, or I mean, would Habib versus GSP be a big fight? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think any fight involving Conor McGregor or GSP is a big fight, but that's a tough sell to GSP. I mean, that guy is a—he's someone that puts a hover lot around 155 just to be safe. I mean, not even that. Just like you know, the and to get to 155 for the first time. I mean, he is the type that he invests a ton of money into his preparation. He you know that's goes true. big. He makes sure he's absolutely prepared that's and true. to be like, hey, you know, if you want to pay him. You know, a oh. million dollars to be a standby. Okay, maybe he'll do it. So I was going to say, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, like George, do me a favor and I'll pay you a million dollars just to like be on standby, no matter. Like, that's a possibility. Yeah, Look, I think that Nate's the one who you would have on standby. I, I genuinely think Nate would be the one who, like, George. Why would George do it? There's so much legacy stuff there that's like at play. But like, Nate is the one who, hey, you're the backup option. And I mean, dude, and if you were going to do it with Nate, like, couldn't you just almost say from the beginning, like, by the way. We have Nate on standby, and he's going to be training as well. He may not get a fight, but, I mean, I know that sounds bizarre, but because you are right. I mean, this this literally is the biggest fight of all time. I mean, the, I mean, the rivalry between these two, what we saw unfold in Brooklyn, legal processes, and then you just put them against each other, Irish against Russian, striker against grappler, you know, Big flamboyant talker versus quiet, lethal, you know, mercenary. I mean, he was also quite like quietly quite funny. When oh, he he's great! Like, yeah, he's so like, sharp. Yeah, he's so sharp. I, I mean, I, when you say biggest fight in UFC history, I don't think that it's, like that's not hyperbole. Like that's yeah. legitimately all you have to do is show the footage of like you said it, him stepping off the bus, but also you know obviously Connor throwing the and like I want to see it. There's still of that course. part of me that like forget all this fight reporting shit. That like literally, I just want to see people who hate each other punch each other in the face. <laughs> That's it. And like this, I roll my eyes boxes, exactly. The it's there and it's perfect. I mean, it's it's every it's a fight promoter's dream, and they should do it. I don't like. I would. I'm like you. I would love to see some of the GSP Connor build up, but this is the build up I want. I want to see this go. Do the international tour. Make me feel like it's 2015 again. Yep. Just do the whole thing. Yeah. Like I, no, yeah. don't get me wrong. I definitely, if I had to choose, I'd way yeah. rather see Connor and Habib over Connor and GSP. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're you're talking about we could possibly see both. I mean, if Connor yeah. or some sort of combination between those three, I could see GSP being very interested in the winner of that fight, regardless of who he is. I think yeah. GSP, you know, he wants the big things. He wants stuff with value, and he's even kind of dropped some hints here and there. Uh, Habib is twenty-seven and zero. 11 and 0 in the UFC. I think George St. Pierre would relish the opportunity to give him that first one on his record. Yeah. Let's talk Agreed. about how this affects UFC Calgary. I mean, we had Eddie Alvarez versus Dustin Poirier in the main event, which both guys believe is a number one contender fight. And had Connor had to do some jail time, or had Connor had to, you know, had there been some delay in the hearing today or something like that, it may very well be a number one contender fight. So let me ask you guys. I mean, we talked to both of them today. Give me your impressions from their point of view. Give me your point of view. I mean, what it, does it make you care about the fight less? Do you feel like there's less on the line here now between the two? I mean, I, I don't know, Mike. How do you feel? Because we got to we got to see the guys yesterday before this happened, and then we got to see them today after it happened. How does it? How did it change them, and how did, how does it change you? Yeah, it definitely takes a little bit of zip off it, but it's still such an amazing fight that like once 
I see them in the octagon together and I'm watching it like I don't care about any of that stuff I'm not thinking about when they're in the middle of a crazy slug fest or a wild exchange not being like oh the winner gets Conor McGregor or something or like it gets a title shot like I'm not yeah. considering any of that so like the fight itself is you know nothing can take away from that but yeah I mean it's uh, I, I feel ba- a little bad for these guys I mean they Got a little, little, little spotlight stolen from me. Yeah, think, or, or a little just, bit. It's just, yeah, it's unfortunate. But you never know. Like, they could still, I think Dustin Poirier made a good point today. He's like, I'm still getting that shot next. If I have to wait six months, that's the case. You know, Habib and Connor fight in October and say GSP is just out of the picture for whatever. The winner of that, March, April, like, that's not unrealistic True. at all. That's not a terribly long wait for either of those guys. So I think you go in there, you win this fight, you make a huge statement. I mean, if they go in there and you know, I, the chances of this happening seem incredibly minimal, but if you know they lay an egg in there for whatever reason, that that all goes away. No one's really talking about that. Uh, but if they go in there and someone gets an extraordinary knockout or a great fight like we saw the first time, yeah, I think they're they're right there. They're part of that discussion. They could be that person on standby if the fight falls through. You know, there's uh, there's some possibility there, but I mean. It's just classic Conor McGregor. Before a big fight week, it kind of takes a, a little bit of the shine it's away. It's so crazy, right? And, and Conor, it just... Every time. And this, and this wasn't even, like, something that he tried to do. Like, just worked out in his favor. Just like timing-wise. They scheduled it that week, to right before the fight. Well, and, I mean, to echo what Mike said a little bit, I mean, look, if, if Habib went... Like, if he beats Conor, like, I 100% believe that the winner of this fight probably... Conor's not going to fight Eddie or... Dustin, right? We know that, right? So he, part he, of, he knocked them both out. Or he right? knocked them both out, and why would he ever give someone that opportunity when he can go chasing the biggest paycheck available? Like Connor's always going to go for that, and these guys are not that. Um, what bums me out is like I think about when Ortega like knocked out Frankie Edgar, and I was like, oh my god, he's got the title fight! I can't wait. I wanted to feel that way after this fight because I, I believe both guys deserve it, and like. I may on Saturday night say like, yeah, they're deserving, but I know they're not getting it. I, like, <laughs> it's up, right? Like, oh, that was awesome. Now maybe they'll sit around for six or seven months. Yeah, and get, yeah, yeah. and like probably not move up. Like they're in the, the exact same place. Whoever wins, oh. um, and like that is a bummer. And I mean, ultimately, I'm like you. Like, look, the second, like, I can't wait for this fight. I think this fight's gonna be amazing. Right. And it doesn't take away from that. I'm excited to see these guys fight. And I think this is the best lightweight fight of the year so far, I mean, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't act like it's more significant than it is. I just want to say, I, I tweeted out last night, and I'm going to throw this on the table, the complex answer to the whole problem, which is, again, <laughs> it's fantasy land. But the more I started thinking about it, now, granted, Conor versus B, we're sitting here saying that's a two million pay-per-view you know, it's a two million pay-per-view attraction, so maybe you, 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 this is stupid to even consider this. But it sure seems to solve a lot of problems. If you had Connor come back and fight at 165 pounds against George St. Pierre, add that class. All right, let's go ahead. Let's do it. Let's pull the trigger. Let's add 165, 175, and get rid of 170. Look at how all the blocks would fall into place. All right, now you've got this massive fight between Connor McGregor and George St. Pierre for the first ever three-division champion in USC history. One of those guys is going to have that honor. It's amazing. And let me just add, no disrespect to George St. Pierre, but if I'm coming back after two years away from mixed martial arts competition, not that there's like a good side of that, but I might take George as an opponent over Habib. I think Habib's a lot scarier of a guy on the other side of the cage. Maybe that's just me. So I don't want to call GSP a warm-up fight, but if I'm Conor McGregor, that might be the one to take. All right, I just think that personally there's more to lose for you. Like, 
losing losing to Khabib is almost yeah. embarrassing. That's right. Like if you lose level, to George St. Yeah. Pierre, you're like, oh, it's MMA royalty. It, like exactly. I'm still gonna fight Khabib. Yeah. All right. So there's that. All right. Now, what does that mean? All right. Let's look at all the little the little things that happen at this point. Now we move that Woodley and Till fight to 175. So all the critics that have said. Darren Till doesn't belong in a title shot. He can't even make 170 pounds. But he can make 175. We've seen that. So there you go. That's all. Then all the people who say, you shouldn't have stripped Colby Covington of his 170-pound interim title. Well, sir, we did that because 170 doesn't exist anymore. You just didn't know it yet. We Hey, we knew all along what we were doing. We just didn't announce it right then because we had some things to, to settle. Mm-hmm. Everything falls into place. You're looking good at that point. And then the winner of this fight... Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez fights Habib for so this is a number one contender fight. They fight Habib for the 155 title, and then there you go. They're always looking for more title. I I don't get it anymore why they're opposed to it. I understood why they were for the longest time, but I don't understand why they're so opposed to it. We're always talking. I mean, look at this Dallas card where they were like, I mean, we thought we were going to get Montano Shevchenko in the main event for a while, and everybody's like, you can't do that. I mean, add one more division, and it's not like you're adding like if you like people talk about well, there should be a 235 pound cruiserweight division. Like, no, there shouldn't. There's no talent there. But at 155 and 170, how many fighters are in Over those divisions? Each division. Over 100 in each division. Yep. So, so you split it up, and you got 70 in each division. Yep. This oh. isn't a good answer, but I actually don't understand why they wouldn't do it. I don't understand like, either. I, actually, like I, we we talked about this a little bit, so I'm I'm recounting it, but no. like. It is it, the argument that oh, it's the historic division would matter for two weeks. Exactly. Like we would all move on, and if welterweight was the 165 division, we would talk about it. And the easy way to talk about it is just to ignore that it's a different five. Yeah, just call it welterweight. Call it, dude, and I, all, I had somebody hit me up. And they were like, "Well, why would you want to add a division where you know the champion, whether it's Conor or GSP, isn't going to defend the belt?" And I'm like, "Well, a, we've already seen that happen, so sorry." And like, and again. Yeah, it would be kind of annoying at first. Like, the first champion of the division just immediately gave away the belt. But right away, like, let's say what? Kevin Lee and Michael Chiesa would fight at 175 or, once, or I mean, at 165. I mean, you know, like, th- those two guys would fight, and you'd be like, oh, that's a hell of a, t- a title fight at 165 to, to take over for the guy that just dumped the belt. Remember Jermaine Durand to me? That happened at 145. Obviously, extremely different circumstances. Yep. That was the cyborg division. Some weird things happened. But, yeah, I, I don't understand makes sense. I've been beating the drum for splitting those weight costs up for a long time. It's not like they're creating a division out of thin air. Uh, the ABC has already approved these weight classes, you know, to go up each pound uh, or each 10 pounds. So it's not like you're just like, you know, doing something, uh, something outside the rules and regulations all makes a lot of sense. And yeah, you just have so much talent. Like I feel so bad for some of these guys. Tony Ferguson has to win eight fights in a row to get an interim title shot that gets stripped. Like, you know, it's just madness what some of these people have to go through. And it's because the divisions are, you know, almost too talent filled. There's too many guys that, you know, are just tough to really have break out there because it's such a clogged picture. And then when you have on top of it a superstar champion yeah. like a George St. Pierre, a Conor McGregor, that is really going to only take a select amount of fights or things that make sense, you're putting yourself in a really tough spot. Like these, you know, the winner of Dustin Poitier, Eddie Alvarez, we all agree here, they probably deserve a title shot. But what happens? Conor and Habib fight in November, October. Then the winner fights GSP sometime next year, Super Bowl weekend. Then, like, who knows what happens yep. after that. You, These guys could be looking at another year, two years, then they lose a fight along the way, something like that. It's just, like, well, and it's I think so too, tough. I think, I think a lot of people that have 
fought for 165 or the said that it needs to be. It's been about weight cutting. To me, this is not about weight cutting. It's not going to fix weight cutting because especially – It's not going to hurt it either. Though. Well, it's not. But you're gonna, I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a bunch of welterweights that go, I can make 165. And then it turns out they're like, oh, my God, that was the worst decision in your life. Like you should have done 175 instead. So it will cause some issues. I'm not saying that – but I – I am not doing this as a means of fixing weight cutting. That's not why I'm proposing this. It's as you said. I just think like when you have a top-level athlete in prime physical condition, they seem to fall somewhere between that 155, 165, 175-pound range. That's why we have so many That's great fighters in those dynamics weight classes. of your average man, like 5'10", 5'11", between 155 and 190. Yeah. And, you know, 190 are the people cutting down to 170 or maybe even bigger. So like that's why... There's 100-plus fighters exactly. in each division. Like that's, Split them up a little bit. They're the most, and that's why I look at Bellator. Like They have you know, an incredibly deep welterweight division. The best talent throughout the world is, are those weight classes. So, yeah, I just don't know why you wouldn't give another avenue to have you know, some great fighters out there. Like You're telling me Kevin Lee isn't sellable as a UFC champion, but it's just so hard to, for him to get that chance right now. And obviously, you know, he, he's lost fights or whatever, like not has gone completely his way, but still. You also can, like, you can't force a guy like Conor or George to fight at 165 a second time, but you can incentivize it. You can sure. make it financially worthwhile to do it. So, like, there is a way to guarantee if you're like, hey, we don't want just a champion who leaves right away, to be like, hey, you're guaranteed 40% more purse than if, if you defend the belt. That would do it. Like, th there are ways of doing it, and I, I just, it, I don't even think it's a swing, but there are ways to take the swing that make it, make it work and uh as you said i don't see any downside to it beyond the obvious weight cutting things right but i actually think that it's as good for the weight cutting as bad so it's kind of it's a, it's a yeah. wash on that it, i don't sense. think it's a negative i think it's, like, it's a wash it's not positive or yeah. negative and you have all of these people and you talked about kevin lee that's a perfect example of why you would do this because it allows those people some time to shine like it gives them Nate space Diaz to too. Too, yeah. too small for welterweight too big for lightweight like there's so many guys we could go through that make a lot of sense uh to be at that 165 you know 175 i think that's a little more interesting maybe a little more challenging there because danny and i as you brought this up last night we took a look at the top 15 middleweight rankings and we couldn't find one guy <laughs> that we thought maybe kelvin gaslam you know, with being the exception, yeah, maybe Robert Whitaker, who, you know, he's a champion, could be a champion at 185. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's basically no one. I'm like, okay, that's the guy who would cut down. So I think right there, you're seeing mostly 170s who are like, oh, maybe this is a bit too much. Tyron Woodley, you know, being an example, I have a new lease on life in this weight, you know, and they could go up there. Can't make 165, 175 is perfect. So I, I, you're just giving them more options, which, you know, is a bad thing in some way because you're always going to have the guys who lose three in a row and are like, I need to do something different, yeah. like change it up, change weight classes. That's always going to happen. But even at 170 going down to 155, like they're still going to try that because it needs to happen. How many times have we seen it? Anthony yeah. Pettis, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many examples. They also want two two title fights on every card yes. and then three occasionally and i like i have a lot of friends who probably only started covering the sport to like support me and then <laughs> but like they will write me every week and be like should i watch this fight be honest my wife doesn't really want to right or or my husband doesn't really want to whatever um and they actually don't probably have any idea which what weight class the, the title is being fought Absolutely in like not. and I don't think it makes any difference. Like, I agree. You just get an extra... It gives you a little bit more leeway in that regard. I'm, get that extra title. I agree. All right. Listen, we do need to get to UFC Calgary, but uh, before Enough we, fantasy talk? Yeah, enough <laughs> fantasy talk. They're not going to listen to us. We just, <laughs> we just fixed all the problems, Dane, and listen to us. 
Uh, all right, uh, I do want to get to USC Calgary, but before we do, uh, there was another very interesting uh, moment this week, and it was Nick Newell fighting on the Contender Series. Uh, I was not there. Uh, I had already flown here to Calgary. In fact, we all watched it together on uh, on Fight Pass. But uh, our man Cole Coffey is back in Vegas. He was there. He experienced it, and uh, I know it was uh, kind of a powerful moment for him, and, and it's still it's still jarring. It's been a while since we've seen Nick in the cage sometimes, and it's it's uh, it still catches your eye a little bit. So I, I wanted him to kind of talk about what it was like at the Ultimate Fighter gym, and uh, and then I want to ask you guys as well, and then we'll we'll talk about UFC Calgary. But uh, first up, it's uh, it's Cole Coffee from back in Vegas. Thanks, guys, for tossing to me here in Las Vegas. Yeah, the Nick Knoll fight. Um, it was crazy, man. Um, you know what? I had only seen highlights of him before so you know i guess i i always saw the best bits of fights and i guess that's with any fighter you know when you only see highlights um of a fighter you kind of have a perception in your mind of what they're going to be bringing to the fight you know how they're going to be and uh so i guess you know that was kind of what was sticking in my mind of what i was expecting to see you know when we saw him the day before when he did his interview after the weigh-in um he he talks the talk man he he carries himself wonderfully, you know. This is a this is a young man that uh, well, I call him young man. He's like 31, but you know, me being in my 40s, everyone below that is a young man. So um, this young man, he's he's such an inspiration, you know. When you see somebody that uh, was dealt something in life and overcomes what a lot of people could probably decide that, you know, I'm. I'm not going to be good enough. I, I'm only destined to be this or this or this, you know, and he's clearly shattered any boundaries that have been set for him and he pushes himself and he excels in an area that, you know, myself and many other individuals um, would fail immediately at. Um, he's as fit as it can be, you know, he's a specimen and, um, you know, going into this fight, I was so excited for him to finally get the break that he had been asking for and working so hard for. So, you know, um, I, there was a lot of anticipation in the room um, for this young man to see how he would do. And, uh, you know, his opponent coming in and had a big camp as well, you know, with the whole Team Alpha Male. So we had Uriah Faber there, and they actually had quite a bit of people there to support him as well. And you can kind of hear that as the fight went on and when it eventually ended, there was a, a large eruption of the, of uh, his own fan base. So kudos to uh, Mr. Munoz on his, on his fight there. Um, but getting to the fight, um, being my first time watching it, you know, uh, you start to watch the fight and you're immediately just wondering, how's he going to do? You know, what moves is he going to display? What's he going to show? You know, because again, you only see highlights and I'd see submissions. I'd see these great kicks. And, you know, it when the fight first started playing out, there was like, it just seemed a bit off. You know, I don't know if it was uh, the lights or just so much buildup in the week. It just seemed, you know, but some, sometimes two fighters are slow starters. Some guys just need to take a few shots in the head before they finally get the, you know, 
all the cylinders going, you know, so I initially thought, you know, maybe that's it, you know, maybe it's just taking him a second to get going, you know, he was working the leg kicks, great man, he snaps those legs, and you can see the damage that was happening on Munoz's legs as the fight was going, he was getting marked up on both sides of his legs, um, so Nick was doing a great job of peppering up his legs, you know, but when they got into some of the clinches, and, you know, this is the part where after it started going on, you know, I started I couldn't watch it like a regular fight, and I kept trying to tell myself, just watch it like a fight, watch it like a fight, don't look too much into it, but you know, this, the first time watching him fight, I kept wanting to look for how he was using his second arm, how was he defending, you know, what was he doing with it, you know, and were there deficiencies in the sense of how he was able to defend himself, or lack of being able to get out of certain moves, or the lack of being able to maybe secure a move without um, the second hand to per, to finish a move with. And one of those instances that really uh, kind of got me thinking that, man, there's, there's just a difference of something going on. And it wasn't so much the skill, but just the ability to pull off the move. There was a, a point where Munoz had his back and uh, Nick was able to separate and pull the hands apart and then kind of spin out of the move. But as they were spinning out, without having, you know, he put his arm up to block, but without having the full range to block an incoming shot, Munoz was able to hook him and get a nice little shot in on the break. And I just felt like, man, those are one of those things that if opponent knew that, hey, he probably not going to have a good shot to block this shot coming in on a break because he's going to be using how he's separating. I mean, guys with two hands, granted, a lot of times miss this, you know, the block a lot of times as well, you know, but so I started paying attention to things like that. And I was like, I was trying to not do that and just look at a fight because I felt at that point I was watching it more for that, you know, instead of what great things were happening. I was starting to pay attention to things that he wasn't able to to do and the reason that, that I guess I was thinking about these sort of things is that at a lot of the lower level organizations he has all the skill in the world that he was just dominating dudes you know he was getting finishes and things um, were always going maybe not always going his way but going his way but then when you got to a higher level it just felt like you're going to start finding athletes that are going to have strategies to go against what areas that you might not physically be able to do just for the fact that there's a lack of a second hand to help complete maybe, uh, you know, arm locks or maybe to help pull away, you know, when you're going in for a choke, he's in a sense only has one arm that he can pull away to try to separate the hands. So, you know, I just, so it got to a point where, I don't know, it, this and this sounds wrong. And I, I just, as I was watching that night and I, I tried to send a message to John, I was like, John, I just don't know if I'm enjoying this fight. And the and the and, and I say that because I, I guess I went in with so much high anticipation and so much eagerness to see him perform that I was so pulling for him. And then when I felt... Like, I felt he was getting distressed a little in there, and you could see that he was getting frustrated. Then I, in turn, started feeling frustrated for him. I'm the kind of dude, if I watch uh, uh, some movies and things, and the, 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 the one character is maybe getting picked on or something happens, I get upset. 
you know, uh, and and it felt like that was playing out watching this fight. I wanted him to be able to do things that weren't working out in the fight. And I just got to the point where I was like, I wasn't sure if I was having fun watching it. And, uh, you know, granted, this is not about my fun level or whatever, but just speaking about the emotions of what I was feeling watching this. Um, but I gotta say, man, you know, even though, uh, there were, there were moments where I felt that, uh, the fight wasn't going his way the whole time he was pushing and putting so much heart and effort into it that, I mean, the guy is a complete inspiration that what he's able to do and what he pushed himself through and, uh, you know, seeing the emotion in the post fight when he was going through, you know, he had worked so hard to get to this moment and wanted that, um, you know, that dream ending, you know, which in this case would have been a chance to perform at the highest level against the best guys in the world. And I think for a lot of us, you know, um, we felt that heartbreak as well. Um, I commend him on coming back into the back and, and, and talking to us, you know, we, we all came to see the show and wanted to see how he was, how he was going to do. And I was glad that he came back and gave us the time. And it was, it was a little tough. I felt bad, so bad for him um, afterwards because the shot didn't work out how he wanted to. But I have all the complete confidence that this guy is going to go back. He wants to look at the drawing board, you know, and see what areas he can work on. And if anything else, maybe, you know, look at the areas where there mistakes made, you know, were there things that they could have did better? Or does it get to the point where, you know, you did things right, but, you know, there are certain areas that when you maybe get to a certain threshold, guys are going to be able to use, you know, uh, the, the the parts that aren't there for you uh, against you. And, and that being saying, if you don't have two hands to defend against a choke or if you don't have... And, and Grant, he's been in chokes before, you know, and he was able to get out of it in this, and he actually was really slick getting into some of the jiu-jitsu moves, and he actually had that choke on in the third round, and I think everybody in the room was holding their breath, hoping that he would get get that submission, and, uh, you know, and then at that point, I wanted to see if it was enough to get that contract. I would hope that it would have been, because um, I know a lot of times we talked about whether, you know, was this good for the the promotion because you know it was kind of a no win situation in the sense where you know if he got beat up bad would people say man you were throwing him to the wolves or if he does win you know you might have somebody come out of the woodworks and say oh man you're just trying to make a spectacle which what it was was a, a guy that had worked his ass off that wanted to get a shot at the big show they gave him his shot but it just came up short you know and um but it was great, man. It was, it was a lot of heart, you know. And, and I have the utmost respect for what uh, he showed out there. And I guess it was just, you know, maybe it gets easier, you know, as I watch more fights. But just that very first fight, um, you know, I found myself watching all the things that normally I probably wouldn't pay as much attention. You know, uh, I guess when you watch a fight and you watch a guy and a guy is getting behind him, he's putting him in choke. You just assume both hands are going to go up and try to take that second, you know, try to take the hands down, you know, two hands against one, you know, that's that's the best way to go. Right. And then knowing that somebody only has one hand <clears throat> to attack the hand that's, you know, the strong hand that's choking, you know, and it just man, it, it just 
have all the respect in the world that somebody's able to even get out of that, you know, knowing that really only has half the possibilities there to do it, you know. And uh, I don't know. It was uh, it was interesting, but I do want to see him fight again. Um, I think his opponent was overlooked, and since I think a lot of us were just wanting Nick to win so bad that we forgot that this guy coming in was actually pretty darn good himself. You know, he's at a, he was at a good camp, so you know it's not like you know uh, they gave him a, an easy mat, you know, match to try to just ease his way in you know they gave him a, a pretty darn good guy uh to fight so i don't know it was uh, it was it was interesting and i know i'm just rambling now um but it was a lot it was a weird mix of emotions that night you know it, it went the whole gamut of you know watching to see this young man succeed to uh going to a part where i was wondering if i was enjoying the 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 sport that you know we come to uh love and watch it just it just felt weird you know but hearing him at the end say you know he's going to go back to the drawing board and keep it going you know if he's not upset about it and you know and he wants to keep doing it you know I'm all there I'm all I'm all in I just I just don't know if it's ready for the UFC level um you know maybe it's, it's that kind of thing where some of the the lesser organizations he can have a great career in it but maybe at the the top level, maybe maybe it's maybe it's just not meant to be. But I don't know. I would I would love to see him get another get another shot at a contender series again. You know, maybe throw him back in and, and see how he does against another one. You know, everyone has bad days, and I just think that was maybe not uh, the best performance for him. Every guy has, is possible having a a bad night, and that might have been it. We might have just saw a bad night where he started slow and something you know happened. So maybe another shot. And maybe has the, the the win that we think that that he can get and that he knows he can get. So um, I'd be willing I I'd be willing to to watch it again. So Dana, you know I know you're listening. You know uh, if the young man uh, has shown you enough to give you another shot, because I know you sent another a lot of the other guys back around for second shots. Uh, you know maybe go for it. But I don't know. I'd be interested to to see what you guys thought. Uh, you know after the first time that you saw Nick fight. You know and. Uh, what you thought, but, uh, I'd be willing to see him a fight again. So I guess that's about it. You know, I, um, those were the emotions that night. And, um, I hope I didn't sound too much like a douchebag trying to describe it. It probably would have been fresher if I talked about it that night, as opposed to trying to recall it, you know, um, four days later, or two days later, whatever day it is. So, all right. I hope I haven't rambled too long. So now I'll toss it back to the guys and, uh, have them tell you what they thought about it. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, that was Cold Coffee joining us from Las Vegas. Guys, I wanted to turn it to you. Uh, I, I'll just say it right off the bat. I mean, in full disclosure, my wife and son were at the Ultimate Fighter gym to see Nick Newell fight uh, because uh, my wife wanted to take my son to see it. I mean, it's, it's inspirational. I think the guy is incredibly inspirational. I mean, what he's had to battle through and accomplish and, and, and got this opportunity, I mean, I think it's incredible. And he, and he came up short um, and – God, man, the emotion. Uh, so much respect to him for sticking around afterwards and talking to us and everybody else that was there. And, and uh, you know, the if you haven't seen the full uh, interview, I recommend you do it. It's on MMA Junkie. It's on our YouTube channel as well. But, I mean, just pouring out of him the emotion and saying, listen, man, you know, it wasn't my night. You know, I had some, you know, but kudos. But I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm still going to chase the stream. I want to be in the UFC. 
Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I have mixed emotions because part of me wants to see him to continue to chase that dream. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so amazing what he's already accomplished. And he is a talented fighter, even though this was uh, ultimately kind of a one-sided result in terms of the decision. I mean, there were some moments that he had in there where I thought maybe he might get that choke in there, you know? And he, it, it, you know, it's... But at the same time, I don't necessarily want to see him toiling away on the regional stage, you know, and, and trying to get back to the time. Unless they're going to bring him right back to Dana White's Contender Series. You know, I don't know if I necessarily want to see him kind of doing other stuff or whatever. And, you know, I, I talked to him at the weigh-ins the day before, and he was mentioning he's got a kid on the way in November. Uh, you know, him and his wife had just bought a house recently. He's got other business interests and things of that nature. So, I mean, he's got other things he can do, but... God, there's something so inspirational about what he does. So I'm torn. I don't know if I want to see him keep chasing that dream. We we didn't get the fairy tale ending the other night, but at the same time, like I still don't feel like it was bad. Like I, I am so proud of him for getting there and do that. I don't. I, what 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 was your takeaway, Danny, from the from the whole situation? I, mean, I think it was similar to you. I, I I don't know what I want or need Nick Newell to do, but I I did like when we when we were watching on Tuesday night. Like my genuine emotion was just like appreciation that um you know. Like this sport, we know how fine the margins are, yep. and you know he is missing a, a big chunk of you know uh, I don't want to say normal, but what uh, a fully, a fully a functioning arm, fully right? Functioning, I mean, yeah, um, and and like for him to have done what he does is incredible. It's just it's it's absolutely amazing, and I do think that like sometimes as a sports reporter, because I don't just cover this sport, right. I, I get. I miss those things, and I miss those moments where I should just like kind of sit back and, and and just admire what an athlete goes through and what they have to, you know, put themselves through on a day to day basis to, to reach this level of performance that is just, you know, so far beyond what, you know, any of us can even imagine doing. Um, and it was incredible, and I was inspired, and I was just like, it was, it was a can't miss moment. Yeah. Um, frankly, I do think he's probably good enough to beat. A, some UFC fighters. Yes. I think they gave him one hell of a test. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't want to limit what I think he can do just because of his disability by any means. It, Cause he's never allowed that to happen. So I, I won't do that. Um, and I won't say, Hey, stop fighting. Cause you're not going to, I don't think he's ever going to, you know, win the UFC title, but God, it was cool to watch. And I mean, I can't imagine, you know, you and I talked about it, but you know, just, the reason why your wife brought your son there was because she wanted him to know that like you can overcome, you know, whatever, whatever's put in front of you. And it sounds cheesy. And like, I, I feel like as reporters often, like we're a little bit jaded and cynical right. about this stuff, but I, I, I really was, you, you use the word proud and I, I don't know that I can, I've never met the guy, but, um, you know, I, I was amazed. And, uh, I, I think that this sport is better for, you know, Nick Newell having, having shown us what you can do. Yeah. Mike, what about you, man? I mean, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in, right? I mean, if you were advising him, I, I you know, he said, I'm not, I'm I'm going to continue to chase this. I'm going to continue to chase the dream. I mean, where does he go from here? Is it did he just not execute that night? Is it simply that, you know, his limitations are ultimately going to keep him from being at the highest level? What, I mean, what what advice would you give him? I mean, they gave him a tough fight that was, you know, a very hard stylistic matchup for him. And, I mean, I guess if you're going to be in the UFC, there is no easy fights. You're going to fight a lot of wrestlers and stuff. So, like, I guess it was kind of, if he can't get through that, how many people, and I guess we'll see how good Alex Munoz turns out to be. Apparently not good enough to get a UFC contract on that night. <laughs> but still, um, I don't know, man. Like, 
it was a little bit interesting to watch, just seeing, because we've seen Nick Newell lose. I mean, we saw him lose to Justin Gaethje. Uh, it was a little bit of a different fashion. This was drawn out over three rounds. Right. We saw him trying, like, every last trick out of his bag. He had a near choke, it seemed, in yeah. that third round. He was bloody. He was beat up. So, like, it was a little bit like, like it's not like he just got flash KO'd or something. Like, it was a pretty thorough loss. And, you know, if that's the end of his story, I think that's like a fascinating movie ending to his career like if they're gonna make a movie on the guy like you know you can be everything you want to be and do it all the right way but sometimes you know dreams just still don't come true which is like a sad life reality in some ways but you mentioned him maybe being back on the contender series that probably means him being out a year i don't think they're gonna squeeze him in on another show nor do i think he would be medically cleared with you know the cuts he had and stuff like that so i imagine if he wants to keep this going and like get another shot on there i don't think they're going to, even if he wins you know, three in a row over the next eight months or something, they're going to call him up to the UFC. Like, I think they want him to go through this process. So maybe he gets another shot next year, possibly, if he really wants to put through that effort. I mean, he's saying this in the immediate aftermath when his dream is dashed away and he's crushed. Like, it would be good to Emotions follow. Emotions were high, man. You could see him battling back tears. Yeah. So. It was it was bold, man. It was, it, was, it was heart-wrenching to hear him. Yeah, so, oh, broke my heart for sure. So we'll see. I mean, might be something good to follow up with in a couple weeks and see what happens when he's kind of reflected on things and had a chance to step back and maybe watch the fight, like he said. Maybe he's just convinced, you know, this, this isn't for me anymore. It didn't go my way. Or maybe he just puts his nose to the grindstone and keeps going, like, at the end of the day, there's nothing, you know, Nick Newell had a, a great quote, I think it was the interview with you, you know, it's not my arm defi- that defines me, it's my heart that yep. defines me, and, you know, this is going to be a test of his heart, I mean, he has a fighter's heart, there's no, no doubt question. about that, and from what, from anything we've learned from covering the sport, the fighter's heart is a terrible thing and a great thing, <laughs> yes, like, it, it gets them to push maybe far beyond they should keep going, some of these guys fart, fight too long, so, like, who knows if it makes Nick Newell happy to like dabble on the regional scene and you know, fight every four months and do this? Like, sure, he can continue to do that. Uh, I don't get that impression though. Like he said, he wants this UFC dream so bad. So I, I don't know the conversations he's had with like UFC staff or Dana White or anything. Like maybe they just said this isn't going to happen for you, man. No matter what you do, like you got your shot. This was it. It's not happening, and he changes his mind, or maybe he just keeps going and hopes his opportunity comes up. It's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I yes, what would I? My advice to be, I mean, it'd be whatever you really want to do. Yeah, either way, man, you got to applaud the guy. All right, let's talk about USC Calgary, uh, Mike. You know, you had some uh, a great point earlier because I mean, this is kind of I think a big three fights on the card. I mean, there's a, it's a great card overall, but the the, the big three. Uh, but I thought you had a great point. I mean, but Josie Aldo, Jeremy Stevens, fantastic. I mean, the Josie Aldo, the former champion, one of the greatest of all time, uh, certainly was a dominant champion until he ran into two other very good fighters in Conor McGregor and Max Holloway. Jeremy Stevens, the hard-hitting you know, dude that's been around forever that somehow just seems to be peaking right now, man. Everything seems to be coming together. He believes he's in line for a title shot. Meanwhile... Go anyway, Jay Check again, kind of in that Aldo position, a former champion who ran up against a, a, a challenger that either a, you know, which I think is interesting too about Rosanna Yunus moving forward. Is she a dominant champion, or was she just the the horse for the course, so to speak? You know, the right person to beat you on a Jay Check versus Tisha Torres, who uh, is fantastic in her own right and what she does, man, an incredible mixed martial artist. Uh, but I think you said out of the two, the one that. I don't want to say necessarily intrigues you more because Aldo and Stevens is, is going to be fireworks, right? But the one that maybe has more on the line is again, Jacek Torres, right? Because that's the one that has real 
title championship type as you know implications. Whereas I guess one forty five is just kind of on hold right now. Yeah, I mean if. Uh Nothing had happened at UFC 226. Max Holloway fought, defended, lost his title, whatever the case may be, and we just kept for it. Like I'd probably flip the script on that a little bit because we'd be clear they need the next challenger, right. et cetera, et cetera. We'd be going forward with that, and this is obviously a enormous fight for the division. But yeah, uh, I think right now this MJ Check Torres fight is it's huge, man. I mean, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a career definer for. And Jacek, I mean, did she bounce back? Does Rose Namajunas just have her number, and that's the case? And she's still better than every other straw weight out there, like headed and shoulders above. Right. I mean, look what she did to like Jessica Andrade and stuff, who's killing everyone else. Like, she might very well, you know, just doesn't have doesn't have what it takes to be Rose. And you can make the argument she won the second fight. So, still, and, I didn't but, score it that way, but you're right; it was yeah, a good like fight. You, you can argue. I mean, I guess you can argue any fight, but well, it's so. fine. You could. I mean, and you can almost throw the first one out the window, right? I mean, I I, I hate to say that, right? But I mean, that you know, Jay check that went in there the first time was like would have lost to pretty much anybody. Walk, walking zombie at that point. So <laughs> none of us like fighters making excuses, but like her excuse is valid. Yeah, like that that weight cut was poorly managed, and I. I I do think she needs to take some responsibility for that. Yeah, you can't blow um, it off, but yeah, but like if you're looking that was at not, handicapping, you yeah. know, a fight, you can make, you can almost write it off. Exactly. Yeah. Let me ask you too, because uh, it's an interesting position, right? What if Joanna does come out there and just absolutely starch Tisha Torres, who is a phenomenal martial artist, said has always kind of been on the on the rise. I mean, what the hell do you do? I mean, can you go back to Nami Yunus again? I mean, you. You can't, right? It's such a tough one because your other number one contender fight clearly is Karolina Kelvokevich against Jessica Andrade. She thoroughly beat both of those women. So and running really those know. rematches back doesn't make any sense, like with her either, yeah. right? Yeah, right. it's a really, really hard spot. I mean, I think the best advice is just you know you got back on track at 115. She said today, you know, this isn't my natural weight. I'm not a natural 115. I'm a 125er, and like yes. You know, go make the move to 125. Finally do it, and then go from there. And you have the win to cap it off. If there's ever an opportunity, say Rose loses the title in her next fight or something after that, you leave the door open. You're coming off a win at 115. But now it's not I a bad say, idea, right? Like I left my mark. You know, you keep keep my placeholder here at 115. Like I'm going up to 125 right now, but keep my placeholder at 115. But for why, her, I know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Why did Dana? Like she says that it was a conversation with Dana where they like agreed that she would go at one fifteen. Why? What you're saying, like, if she is just I would argue that she might be the best strawweight in the world. Yeah. And just I think she might beat, you know, all of the other women, like more of the other women than Rose does. I but Rose beats her. Right. You know, like she has so far. Yeah. But it's, there's no way that Dana knows I mean maybe I'm wrong in this, but why like, would he not want her at one Well what I was gonna say is like Shevchenko beat her what, like three times in Muay Thai? Yeah. You think there's anything to that that, that Dana's like, keep, keep uh, away from this yeah, like yeah, she already beat you three times, kickboxing. I mean, that, that's yeah. if that's okay. the case, that kind of sucks because like that's Dana, you know, inserting his personal feelings about like this fighter could lose. To this well, person and it was weird to hear her say that because Dana always goes out of his way. So I don't tell people where to fight at. I don't tell them what weight class yeah, to be in. So. And she's like. Dana told me to stay. But, like, if you're her, and I know, I mean, if one thing I've learned about Joanna covering her over the years, she's, you know, a very prideful woman. Yeah. She puts that almost, you know, in front of everything else. So I know, like, deep down inside her, it's probably killing her so bad that she knows, like, in her mind, I should have won the second fight. She feels all this bad stuff happened prior to the first fight. Like, she probably feels like, if I fight Rose again, I'm better than her. Like, I can beat this chick. So it's probably really hard for her to digest that and, like, come to terms oh. with it. But. 
for her, like you look at career opportunities, like what's going to make more money for you or going to do more for your career going up there and fighting, you know, sorry, Nico Montano. I'm not trying to uh, dis- disparage your chances, but you're Nico Montano. We all assume Valentina Shevchenko is going to win that fight. Yeah. So, no, disrespect. There, no disrespect. No disrespect. Yeah. Go up there and, you know, maybe she'll shock us all. And if, Nico Montana wins. I think Ro- or Joanna uh, should be jumping at the bit to go up there. But still, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that would be so bad. Like and people, people just keep taking turns moving up to fight Nico. <laughs> like for her, what's more advantageous? You know that fight we've all been talking about for a long time against Valentina Shevchenko. The opportunity to become the first female to have titles in two weight classes. Right. Uh, you know, pending what happens in the fight between. Uh, Amanda Nunez and Chris Cyborg if it happens. But, you know, that chance to make history, that seems like way better for her career. But I just wonder, her, her pride might hold her back well, here, and we'll and, see what happens. And to double down on that, I mean, I talked to her three times this week. Each time she said, like, the my career should not be defined by two fights and, and would then just list off her resume. And, like, she's she seems genuinely insulted that anyone is implying that she's, like, not the greatest women's fighter right. pretty much in the world. I mean, like I, I, I think that the pride plays a huge part in this in a way that like we can't quantify. Right. But like I've just seen it firsthand. Like yep. she cannot believe that people are are, are judging her based on that first fight. Like she's angry about it. Yeah, that's just the, that's just the sport. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, whatever. I mean. Like, but but she is right. I mean, she said, look, I've had a hundred Muay Thai fights. Yeah. Six time world champion. Like. But but she's also done a lot of things right. I mean, like we we criticized Ronda, you know, for running away and I don't want to say, well, yeah, whatever, running away, not talking to media, not being public, and she just took a fight three months later. You I can get, say running away. It's not like she's yeah. not going to do an interview with you now. Fair enough. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's true. She, she's listening closely. Uh, yeah, yeah. She she wasn't looking for me at the UFC <laughs> Hall of Fame red carpet. Um, All right, um, so that's a, that's a, it's an interesting fight. I I think there's a lot of stakes. So I I agree with you guys. While Aldo Stevens has the potential to stylistically just have like some vicious you know results i think what happens in the fight matters a lot with you and tisha i, I do want to ask you kind of a a weird round out to the main card right not that it's a not that it's a bad fight and not that it's not uh, it's just an interesting fight olivia Aubin mercier versus alexander hernandez uh hernandez just just getting into the ufc and he's already cracked the rankings but my God, is he a confident young man? Hearing him talk is is incredible. Meanwhile, Olivier Aubin Mercier, the Canadian gangster, uh, uh, I mean, it, yeah, roll, up, roll up as, with the security as Canadian as they come. I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm still struggling to figure this dude out. Yeah, today and it sucks. We didn't get a chance to talk to him. Media day. Uh, I don't know, and it was funny because uh, one of the PR ladies was like, "Oh, I'm sorry, but it's over. Like everybody's mad at us." I'm like, "No, I'm not mad at you. It just we did. We wanted to go talk to him, but it just just didn't work out." But uh, yeah, he rolled in with two security guys. Now Olivia Aubin Mercier, I don't I don't understand him yet. Right? He's got the fanny pack. He's got the mustache. Uh, you know, he's the Canadian game. I don't know if it's ironic. I don't know. He does drop a lot of f bombs on the mic, so I guess that's a little bit gangster. You know, he's got that. Uh, he rolled his day with two security guards, quote unquote security guards, uh, sunglasses on, basically looking like uh, Secret Service agents, I yeah. guess. You know, they wear black sweater and sunglasses, standing on each side of them. Completely quiet. Just completely quiet, yeah, not saying a word. I mean, I'll give him credit for the creativity. Like, do something to be remembered. So I, I like that. I'm just trying to figure this dude out. Like, is, is, is. I mean, does Canada buy into this guy? Is, I think he, is I, he a weirdo? I do. I do. All my friends think it's hilarious. Yeah. 
And you do too? No, I have some thoughts. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's like, look, is it probably a little bit corny? Yeah, but it's original. Right. And I've always said, I mean, when we've talked about Colby, I've said, you, you don't have to be a dick to be interesting. Like, find something and, and go into it. It's okay to play a character. What I've never liked about Colby is that I thought he was, like, it was corrosive. Like, I thought right. it was gross. With Olivia, like, is he playing a character? Yeah. I think he thinks it's funny. Like, I, I very he's much... He's just enjoying himself, He's basically. just enjoying himself, and, like, like the mustache is ridiculous. And he told me a whole story about how someone stopped him on the street and said he looked like a porn star. And he was like, it made me believe that I could do anything. <laughs> I, I just think he's having fun, and it's so harmless and, like, so goofy and all that. And it completely works for me. Um, and, like, there are things that I don't necessarily... Like, him showing up in the cowboy hat, he is from Quebec. We are in Alberta. They are very different provinces yes and that was absolutely him playing to the alberta crowd okay and being like i'm not just french canadian I'm okay also, um how do y'all i'm exactly right, right yeah um and i mean i love it and i, I legitimately like look I, I think hernandez is really good so i don't know how this fight goes i don't want to make a prediction i haven't seen enough of hernandez to know where his faults lie um but i also think olivier is really good i think we can be talking about him as a legitimate contender very shortly. Well, and you said uh, if he wins here, you'd like to see him headline the, the fight night in Moncton. The Moncton. So Moncton is, for the record, it's, I don't know how many hours I've, I've done that drive once, but it's very close to Montreal as well. Like okay. Moncton, uh, New Brunswick is a lot of French Canadians. He is a French Canadian. I actually think that if you're going to if you if you're going to be picking a Canadian and being like, hey, we got to have someone headline something for the first time since Roy McDonald, he's the guy, especially if he wins this fight. Um He's, he's lost, what, once since he lost the Ultimate Fighter finale? Um, I think that if you look at him physically, he's a specimen. Um, he doesn't seem to have bad weight cuts. I, I I think he's as close as we come to a legitimate title contender among male Canadians. All right, so from, from Danny Austin, like Calgary kind of hippie-ish guy, to <laughs> Mike Bond, Toronto hipster, uh, what's your take on Olivier Aubin-Mercier? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so I remember I remember first seeing this guy on the Ultimate Fighter Nations, and then I covered, uh, I believe it was my first solo event that I ever did for MMA Junkie, was the Tough Nations finale in Quebec City. And I remember I screwed up the way in shots, but that's neither here, here nor there. Um, anyways, he was, like, beloved. People were talking to me about him as, like, they thought of him as the next George St. Pierre. They're like, this is the guy Holy who is shit. the heir apparent. Like, he has everything it takes but I was like I didn't really see it like I saw him on the show he had some good wins and stuff but he just didn't really have much personality his, his English wasn't nearly as good at that point uh, he seemed very shy he was obviously a lot younger and I was like what are people talking about here and like then he goes out there and he loses to Chad Laprie's uh, fairly enough outside of his natural weight class he's right. one of those dudes fought up you know, dro- dropped down and he's been great at 155 mm-hmm. So that's been following him. Like I've done TriStar Media Days. I've seen him there. I've done some other events he's fought on. And like this question keeps coming up, like the GSP comparison and all that. And I think for him, the best thing he could have done for his career, goofy or not, silly or not, whether you find it corny or not, he has separated himself from that narrative now. He is yeah. Like for his you own to, for you to even say that to me, I'm like, how the hell would you compare those two people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you looked at him as like a young raw prospect right. and like all this stuff, and I think this is like right at the cusp of GSP's the beginning yeah. of his hiatus and stuff. I'm just saying so. he's done such a good job of diversing himself from that. Like it seems bizarre exactly. to me to even I, make that. I haven't heard it in a while now, and I think you know he's done a, a very good job of doing that for himself. So whether you like it or not, I, I just credit him for doing that. He has built himself into his own thing and. You know, who knows 
how people will take to it, whether he becomes you know, a quote-unquote star or whatever. But on the opposite end of the coin, talked to Alexander Hernandez today, and he dropped a quote basically being like, I'm the next star in the UFC. Like, I'm an original. People are going to find out soon that I have, like, the personality, the fighting style. Like, he announced himself today as, like, the next UFC star. He said this company needs stars in the lightweight division, all this stuff. And we haven't seen enough of him to know if that's going to be the case yet. But the point he made is, I'm an original, and at least Olivier Aubin Mercier is trying to be an Also, original. just to add another Hernandez, to be clear, I was really impressed with Hernandez as yeah. well. Um, he also, one of the last questions I asked him was just, you know, about the state of the lightweight division. And what I love that he said was he was like, I'm not worried about anyone who's been around. He's like, they do not understand the new generation. And he's like, it's not just me. He's like, the guys who are going to beat me are coming up behind me. He's That's like, awesome. Um, and it's been like, it's been a while. I, I like that. I like yeah. that attitude. He's got an like edge that. to him, man. Yeah. He's not afraid to say, I'm a badass. I'm in your face. Dude. Yeah. I like it. This fight's going to be good. Uh, Jordan Meehan versus Alex Morono is the feature prelim. I, I just, Danny, kind of want to get your take. Is Meehan kind of an, an area guy, if you will? Mm-hmm. Lethbridge, I believe, is, is the name yep. of his hometown. I think it's a couple hours or an hour and a half. A couple hours, yeah. Uh, but he's kind of kind of MMA royalty, I guess, in this area. Him and his family yeah. have, have done a lot for MMA in this area. Uh, I just want to get a take on, on Jordan because uh, a dude that started so young, right? His body, he's still a young guy, but his body has a lot of miles on it. He quit for a while. He came back. Um, I worry about that when guys walk away and come back. Give us a scoop. I mean, uh, is he back because he needs to be? Is he back because he's an interesting guy to read? I mean, uh, Mike sat down and talked to him earlier this week. I was was running the camera all week, so I was listening to the interview. But um, he's very just kind of – Happy go lucky and what you know what I mean. His, his goals are just knock people out or yeah, whatever. So I was like, you know, what's the big picture? He's like, finish people. <laughs> okay, great. All right, that's it. So I don't know. Give us your take. I mean, is, well, is the guy's head still in it? Is there a future ahead for him? I think it is. I mean, it's worth noting that he is 28 years old with 42 that's professional insane. fights. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. No, it just doesn't. And I mean, one of my favorite. Just I mean, if I assume it's MMA fans, you know, listening. So if you're if you're looking for something just to watch tonight, just just go search Jordan Mean and Rory McDonald because they're 16 years old. Like they are babies, That's and it's their, both of their first. They've got to be 16. I don't know how they're 16 and professional, but it's their first professional fight against one another. And like Jordan's fought probably three times more t- in it's in crazy. the however many 12 years since. Um, so I mean, I think with Jordan Mean, like I don't think anyone is standing here. Pretending that we think Jordan Bean is going to make a title run, like I, I don't think that's right. who he is. But he's one of those old school guys, and his his dad runs a big gym in Lethbridge. Um, Hard Knocks was Hard Knocks fighting was sort of the local promotion for years and years and years here. Uh, Lee Mean, Jordan's dad, was the booker when Jordan, you know, retired. He, uh, you know, he was refereeing there. I mean, they they are <laughs> that's awesome. Like they are as ingrained in in fighting as you get. And he's going to have a guy named Justin Basra in his corner. Who's a, who's a young bantamweight here. Like they are walking with Albertans. Like, and there's, I mean, no one ever said like, Oh, you should go to TriStar. Like everyone just understood that Jordan was going to be fighting with in Lethbridge. And I don't know if that means that he's, you know, going to be more limited, uh, because he doesn't have all that experience. But like, he's a guy who he's from where he's from and he fights where he's from. And, um, I, I, I love it. And, uh, he's also, just, I mean, I think, I've I've said this before. I just like Jordan. No, he's a good dude. You just man. talk to him. He just he just doesn't come across. He just seems like a really normal yeah. guy. Which, given that he's been fighting his whole freaking life, like you don't expect a guy like that to be normal. You expect him to be weird. And he seems like a nice guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, for some reason, he told me he's just he was just like I'm just gonna go out and be aggressive. And then the next sentence was like, well, you know, like 
Alex's strength is he's a good counterpuncher. And I was like, well, like, shouldn't you maybe not be that aggressive? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I kind of said to him. And, uh, here, here's a stat for you. Jordan Mean, this is his first fight in 2018. Guess how many times his 51-year-old father has fought in 2018? Twice. Twice. Twice? Uh, he's one in, he's one in one say, in 2018. Once, once wouldn't have been enough to ask the question. Yes, but, yeah. but he's still fought, period. So his 51-year-old father, a heavyweight. And he's that's huge. That's a fighting family. He's enormous. Yeah, he's a big dude. Like he's wild. Yeah. Not fat. Like He's just no, like, no, he's, he's just jacked. Yeah. yeah. Like, and it's just it's funny. Like you'll, you'll see the two of them, and I'm like, I'm scared of Lee, and I'm not scared of Jordan, because yeah, he yeah. seems like such a nice guy. Lee, like, Lee didn't fight in the USADA era. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of what we're getting at. I'm not sure I should say that. <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> uh, that'll be a good fight. All right, I want to ask you to uh, listen, uh, Danny Hakeem Dewadu. Fair enough. I mean, you, you kind of admit like it's hard for me to be impartial. Like this is a homegrown guy. This is a guy I watched fighting Muay Thai like, right in, tw- in 2010. Like I, I'm he- still high on the guy. What What do you take? I mean, after watching his debut, which ended in disappointing fashion, I I, I followed his World Series of Fighting career. I mean, you and I had talked before. Like I, I believe the guy has incredible talent. Of course, at the highest level, at the USC level, man, you got to be well rounded. Um, I'm sure he's working on that. I doubt every day he's like, let's just kickbox some more. I mean, he does no. come from a striking background. Uh, I will say, even though he was choked out in his in his loss, like that was I was an incredible in- choke. That's it was an incredible. Choke. I was impressed by the steps he took to try to get everything, all the escape maneuvers that you should take. He took. He tried. So yeah. it wasn't an uneducated, you know, like oh my god, why did he move that way? Why did he do this? It was just. The choke was incredible. So, I mean, are you still high on Hakeem? He's a tough dude to read, man. I interviewed him yep. in England. Mike Bond interviewed him this week. Uh, yeah, he he basically looks like he hates you. And and, and, and does, I couldn't see his eyes. He was wearing shades. Yeah, inside. wearing sunglasses. He's you know, it's like he doesn't want to be there. Um, so, we, but he gave some decent answers. He did, but I don't know where, where where's his head at, and where, where do you think I, his future is? I mean, look, I think guys get caught, and I think it sucks when you get caught in your first UFC fight. He got hit, and and Danny Henry secured a really incredible submission. I mean, like, it just... If you watch the amount that Hakeem moves to get out of it, and, it, and he holds it, it's, it's amazing. Yep. That being said, I can't deny, like, look, you got on the big stage, you, you fell short, so there's a part of me that is nervous. I'm just like, they're just urban legends about Hakeem, and, like, I have no idea if there are any of them Like street true. fights and stuff? Just, well, like, a Muay Thai or coach coming or- in from, like, from the States and sort of you know, telling guys, well, ignore that from Hakeem's gym. Like, don't. We, you know Hakeem's a Muay Thai champion, but whatever. And Hakeem just, like, showing up at the gym the next day to fight him. Nice. Like, Let's get in there. Like, they're, like, I, this guy fought so many times. And it's one of those things where, like, I I think, like, Gokensaki, when he, when he lost, I was, I, I didn't feel as bad because I just know if you've actually fought in one of those sports where you fight once a month. Right. You're used to losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you like, dealt with it. it. It happens. And I think Hakeem's, like, dealt with losses. I, um... That being said, like, look, I mean, yeah, he beat Steven Seiler, who's, you know, recently won in PFL, yeah, I believe. Twice. Like, yeah. He, he's the number one he, seed, right? I believe so. He, I think he's tied. He has yeah. A, a, a yeah. nine points or ten points, yeah. whatever. Hakeem is good. There's absolutely no question. But um, I think, I imagine he's cut if he loses badly this yeah. time. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't foresee that. It, it if happens. he loses in the first round again, I mean. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think they give him one more shot. You know, we'll see what happens, but. You know, to your point, he's a guy who came in with a lot of hype and he fell flat on his face, and it happens. I mean, look right now. We have, as I brought up to him in the interview itself, right now we have three UFC champions Max Holloway, Rose Namajunas, TJ Dillashaw. All were all lost their UFC debuts, yeah. all were finished. It, it happens. I mean, That's like, you, it's not a defining thing. Rafael Dos Anjos famously, you know, lost brutally 
twice in a row to start his UFC yeah. career. It ha- like it, you can't define these guys off one fight. Yeah. It, it was embarrassing and like you know, the worst has happened to him already. And it was a little bit of you know talking to Jeremy Stevens today too. Like he's dealt with it all. Like a lot of these fighters have seen the worst of it, so there's nothing really to be afraid of anymore. And that's the thing: fighters lose, right? Yeah. And like it's it's always like it's tough to remember that. And I mean, I both of us, I think we all talked to Ross Pearson, who was just for me was probably my best interview of the week, and he talked about that's like. Fair. You know his forehead's been slit. He's lost teeth. Like he's literally he was like, I've been through everything. Like you can't. Got his mouth guard knocked out of the cage by a knee. Exactly. And he was just like, you just like, at this point, like it's not emotional. Like if I lose, like it sucks because I'm farther away from the title. But and I, I I do think with Hakeem, like he's a fighter. Like he's an like he is even if he doesn't make it in the UFC. I've just known the guy for eight years now. Like he is a fighter, and wins and losses happen, and it's a sport for him. Like he doesn't he doesn't view it as a street fight. And I think he's going to come out. I don't know enough about Austin Arnett. Um, I, I imagine Hakeem's just got to find his distance it, this time. It's just so hard. Like As you said, man, Mike, you laid out a couple of awesome examples there of people that overcame. I just – I mean, you guys know, man, we live around fighters. And, you know, I, I think from the outside looking in, sometimes, you know, you may think, man, fighters, they're, they're these, you know, undefeatable, you know, like, man, they, they, you're the world beaters and they walk around with their pride like – no, man, they're mentally fragile. You know what I mean? Like, as a whole, fighters are mentally fragile. And I got to think, man, unless you're the strongest of resolve, like, when you get to the UFC, like, of course, man, there's a little hair of doubt in you that, like, do I fucking belong here, man? Like, am I really, like, oh, my God. And then you get in there and lose, and you got to think you go back, and, yeah, everybody around you is like, hey, man, you tried to get out of the choke right. You did this. You know what I mean? But there's that little, that little self-doubt in you that's like, Man, mate, no, I don't belong at this level. Like these guys are better than me. These guys, you know, they train at this facility. They have this background. Whatever, you know, whatever. You, all those things that go through your head. So it is always interesting. I, first of all, I do think one of the best times to see a fighter to really evaluate who they are is between their first and second UFC fight. Like, because a lot of people don't really have like a lot of people train part time before they get to the UFC and then they train full time. You know what I mean? Or debut on short notice. That's pretty much your only chance of getting into the UFC it. now. I see like series. I think when you see like when you see evolution in between that first and second fight, I think that's when you can really see what that person's made of and who they are. But especially when they've dealt with loss the first time and then you see how does their attitude change? How does how does their body change to be honest with you? Do they take training a little I mean, Hakeem doesn't have to worry about that. But you know, do they take training a little more seriously? Are they a little more muscular this time or that sort of thing? So um I just as Something that I always like to do is uh, – it's always fun to me is watching a guy's second UFC fight and see how it differed from And it is worth knowing it was strange that he went to SBG Ireland before that, that London bizarre. fight. Like, I, and I'm not saying anything against that gym, but it was weird just to before your first UFC fight just go somewhere where you're completely unfamiliar yeah. to train. Like, I, So I, I don't know if that makes any difference, but I think it probably does. All right. Uh, and just uh, just one final point. I mean, like, not just to Hakeem specifically, but just in the general nature of this conversation. I mean, it stuck with me. Uh, Art Davey said during his Hall of Fame speech in Vegas earlier this month, he mentioned something like, I think at this point, like 1,900 or so fighters have fought in the UFC over the history of the company. And it's like, okay, you look at that 1,900. How many of those 1,900 uh, ever win a fight? How many of those 1,900 win multiple fights? How many of those become a ranked fighter? How many of those become a champion-level fighter? So, like, it is so hard to make it in the sport. I know, like, with the amount of events we see now, these fighters in our mind, unless, like, you know, which is 
part of the problem with our sport runs now. together. It just they're interchangeable in our yep. mind, and we don't really think about you know, like this person trained this hard and did that. But like it is such a hard sport to actually make it in, like to let alone make a living, but just like get on the UFC level where you're a Ross Pearson, and yes, you may never be a UFC champion, but you are a guy that gets you know enough opportunities to be in there for a long time. Like, uh, even those guys are so so rare. There's nowhere else where being the 18th best at what you do in the world is a bad thing. Like, you know, nowhere else. Like it's it, yeah. Yeah, here it so, is. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, all right, listen. Uh, we just spent a lot of time talking about Conor McGregor, so I just want to kind of burn through these. But listen, these fights are good, man. Cajun Johnson versus Islam Makhachev. Probably not an accident that Cajun Johnson is fighting <laughs> one of the top respected prospects in the game. Uh, Gazamura Antigalov versus Ian Kutalaba, two very difficult to announce fights. Uh, hopefully Ian Kutalaba finds his green paint uh, and shows up as the Incredible Hulk at weigh-ins. John McDessie versus Ross Pearson, as you guys mentioned, could be great. Caitlin Chukagian versus Alexis Davis, big fight at 125 pounds there. Chukagian is uh, someone on the rise. Alexis Davis, somebody who's fought for a title before. Mateus Nicolau, a talented Brazilian prospect versus Dustin Ortiz. Keep your eye on that great one. That could be fight. a hell of a lot of fun. Nina Ansaroff, of course, we know her, her connection to Amanda Nunes versus Randa Marcos. Big fight there. Alvaro Herrera versus Devin Powell. Please don't let him get kicked in the groin in this fight, Devin <laughs> Powell. Uh, out, out of those, I mean, we just that's seven fights. Uh, Mike, you start. Which one of those are you most interested in? Which one are you most keeping your eye on? I mean, it's got to be Kaitlyn Chukagian and Alexis Davis. I mean, that I know it's you know just in the midst of a prelim card there on Fight Pass, but that could be a number one contender fight at 125. I mean, we see what happens with Joanna and all this stuff if she decides to move up I think she jumps the queue but like if we're gonna play it straight in this weight class of like earning it or whatever the case may be I think in the UFC's rankings I know we don't have 125 rankings available quite yet on MMA right. Junkie but we've got them damn IT issue we've got 125 rankings for the women so if you've ever looked at our rankings and wonder why the hell we don't have them it's an IT issue but like you know this the only person I think the winner of this fight that you can make an argument should get the shot next is Sajara Eubanks like that's right yes. there and uh, maybe that's your number one contender fight, depending on you know this Nico and Valentina fight. However, soon the uh, winner is able to turn around. But yeah, like this is high stakes stuff. Like arguably really in terms of title contention, aside from those top three, it, that's number one. Yeah, I agree. Danny, out of those seven fights, which one are you most intrigued by? You know, whether it be personal emotion or stakes in the fight, which one are you tuned into? I will say that if if Mike hadn't picked that fight, yeah. fight, I would have I would have done the same. Um, but I, I actually, and I, I know that I'm in my hometown, I'm probably just chugging the maple syrup right now, but uh, <laughs> I feel, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like this Cajun Johnson is a Mechashev fight. Um, and in part, I mean, you guys, I actually didn't talk to Cajun this week. I didn't request him. And well, to be fair, I said I wanted all the Canadians, and Cajun wasn't fully made available to me. <laughs> um, bizarre, bizarre. Scheduling conflict. I'm but sure. I, I do think that, if nothing else, I mean, like. He's been brave in this, like, and I, I use the word brave intentionally. I mean, he Absolutely. has put himself out there as a guy who's not a huge star uh, to try to get this union movement going. Um, he's been fully willing to talk about it, and he's he's won his fights. And I, I'm quoting an MMA junkie interview here, but he literally said he was like, "They're giving me the hardest fights <laughs> with not big name opponents." Yep. And he was like, "As long as I keep winning, they can't cut me." But he probably will get cut if he loses this fight. <laughs> um, and I just, I actually like, I think. Cajun has probably overperformed a little bit recently, but he, he's 
put that pressure against him. I, I think he's going to lose this fight. I, I do. Um, but he's got to be a huge underdog. Anybody looked at the odds? He's got to no, be a massive no, underdog. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, it, it, I mean, he has come a long way too. Like, I, he got melted <laughs> in one of the worst knockouts on <laughs> the Ultimate Fighter ever by Chad Lapreze. Like, Let me just give you the odds like real quick before you lay that out there. Islam Makachev is a slight favorite at minus seven hundred. Okay, yeah. I didn't think it was going to be that <laughs> wide. That is crazy. Cajun um, is also. Oh, and let me and let me say that it opened at minus four twenty, but has been bet down <laughs> to minus seven hundred. I, I think highly of Islam Makachev. I spoke a lot about him on our preview show that we taped earlier. But man, if you have fifty bucks, you never want to see you again. Yeah. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to throw it down on Cajun. And Johnson. Cajun's on a four fight win streak. It's worth noting. Yep. And I like him. Like I don't think that he is a a hothead who's doing this union stuff. I think he genuinely believes in it. I agree. Um, I love. The way he speaks about it, he's not really ultimately combative. I mean, you know, Leslie, I love Leslie too, but sometimes I think she gets a little aggressive, and I think Cajun is seems to be a little bit more. I mean, he gets aggressive at times too, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, I do love how brave he's been. Yeah, and I mean, just every time, like I haven't actually been there for his last couple of fights, so I've relied on uh, the only MMA site I acknowledge. I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, um, say it loud and proud. MMA but. But, like, he speaks articulately. He speaks about, like, why, you know, organized labor he matters to him, but specifically within a fighter's context. He'll be honest about where he, you know, thinks that there are limitations and what they can do and what, what they can do. I just, I like the guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, it's good having him around the UFC. The second they announced this fight, like, I laughed. I, I cannot <laughs> believe. It's that. not. A, it can't be an accident. No. I mean, we could ask Sean Shelby and I'm sure he'd be like, no, I mean, I had, hey, we had to get <laughs> Makachev a fine cage and he can't. Like, there's no way it's an accident. And it is worth noting that, like, for all, like, the, the convert, like, the other level is they did give Ali Quinta a title fight. Yeah. And he's very involved in the project. He spearhead yeah. stuff as well. So they haven't only and punished. Cajun could have said no. So that's like true. He had to take this fight, but I, I don't know the specific language if you can be cut off saying no to a specific I think so. Fight. I think they can extend. Well, I mean, I think they can cut you at any time, basically. I, like, I don't even think there's a rule that they can't cut you coming off a win. Like, I think it's customary, and it's pop, but like, I don't think there's anything in the contract that says if you win, you're guaranteed another fight. They can cut you for anything at any time. Yeah, I think I haven't read the, the contract. I remember... Uh, What's the face? Jonathan Snowden and Jeremy Botter did that piece on Bleacher Report a few years ago where they like actually got Dana White and I can't remember, was it Lauren Sepsin or someone to like speak on record on the language? I don't remember that. The UFC. Find yeah, it. it's uh, I mean, who knows how contracts have yeah, been yeah, yeah. updated over the years, but I think I remember reading something along the lines that like they need to have cause, and I guess you can make up a because whatever they want. <laughs> like you can you know, you can say whatever you want in that sense, but yeah, I I don't know. And I think maybe that's the reason Cajun said in our interview, like, you know, they can try to illegally cut me like off this reason. I think he was True. very yeah. um I think he wasn't misspeaking when he yeah. used that term. That's it's true. also worth knowing, like, Makachev's not unbeatable. Yeah, I might be wrong there. Like, no. I mean, he, he's been knocked out he's not, a yeah. minute and a half flat or something like yeah. that. Who finished him again? Was it, uh, uh, it is Adriana Martins. Yeah, who yeah. Cajun Johnson knocked out. Yeah. So and there like, you go. And he's beaten, like, Leeson Timo, Nick Lance, baby. and Chris Wade in his last three fights, which... Those guys aren't exactly yeah like world beaters either. So he he seems like he has all the tools, but like we don't know how good he really is. He's yeah. just one of those guys. It's too it's too early, and I don't think if even if he beats Cajun Johnson, that's going to be the one where we know how good he really is. Yeah. But he's on his way. You know, he's Khabib's one of his best friends. So yeah, and uh, you he's asked me himself with the right people. You asked me what I was keeping an eye on, not what I thought was going to be fight of the night. So 
<laughs> I don't think Cajun Dogs is getting affair. a fifty thousand dollar. Could be bonus a grinding fair, but it yeah. is interesting. You got to keep your eye on it. All right, cool guys. Well, I tell you what, uh, man, Conor McGregor took a big chunk of our time, so we got to wrap up because we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go talk to John Anik, and we're gonna go talk to uh, not John Anik. Dominic Cruz. He's what? not there. He was delayed, so we'll just be Dominic. Oh, Cruz. is that right? Just Dominic Cruz. Well, shit, not a bad mind to Dominic Cruz. Not to, at all to go preview the fight. So we'll uh, we'll go talk to him and get him to break down some things, which will definitely be fun. I don't know if you guys heard. They got free booze there. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we're going to go do that. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed everything. And uh, more than anything, thanks for listening.